Hello, hello, everyone, to another episode of What the V. This morning, I have with me Lindsay Neville, who is essentially a super human woman, um, but on Earth in human format. And Lindsay is going to be essentially sharing her IVF journey, all the know-hows, all of the tips and tricks and hacks that everybody wants to know about, because um, I've actually gotten a few questions here and there regarding this topic, which is particularly interesting to me because I don't know anything about it. So <laughs> Lindsay is an engineer. Um, she is also the co-host of Plast Chicks, which you can give people like a quick intro regarding what you guys talk about over there, um, alongside with a plethora of other things, including being one of the best work colleagues I've ever had in my life. So yeah, the list keeps going on and on. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> on plastics, we're just like, this is just perfect. They can tell you what they do because I... <laughs> I don't think I'm nice enough to do a nice introduction like that. <laughs> it's the truth, so it's pretty easy. But um, <laughs> yeah, just a little quick backstory. How did you get started with the whole plastics industry? Because I know this is a really large portion of your life and something that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I, I, in my high school, we had like a random tabletop injection molding machine, which was like a plunger um really really rudimentary uh and i stumbled into the technology classes and i liked the teacher and they were i thought i had to take the classes i was mm. mistaken which is really the story of my life uh and they were like no you don't have to take these this it's just an option and i was like well i really like these and they had this like plastics class and i tucked it away and i was like there's no way i can do that that's not a real thing and um, I was actually going to be a history teacher or a musician. Uh, I play the viola and I, the old cheerleading in injury. I did not know that. Surgeries there. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, a real swing of my career path. And uh, I couldn't play anymore. And so I started like kind of poking around and I stumbled upon like plastics is uh, an engineering choice. And I was like, I thought I could do that. And uh, Penn State Erie was an hour from my parents' house. And I actually had an uh, appointment to go check out UMass Lowell, but I got accepted to Penn State before. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's an hour and a half. I'll, I'll do that. Interesting. And yeah, I've been in. You know, I kind of landed in engineering in a similar way. Um, we definitely didn't have plastics courses at my high school. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I feel like that's very niche, but very similar to like just falling in love with general chemistry and then really liking the teachers. I think my high school teachers, at least that taught my two favorite subjects were, I would consider like the first early mentors I have ever had in my life. So mm -hmm. yeah, they're definitely pivotal in the whole engineering career path because I don't think any sane person chooses that for themselves. Oh, you choose, you choose it for the people. And then by the time you realize what you've got yourself into, it's, it's way too late. late. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, for people that are per perhaps not trying to conceive, is there a defined term for what undiagnosed infertility is defined, at least in the medical mm. community? So 
undiagnosed is a tricky diagnosis, as you can imagine, because it could mean there's really nothing wrong. Timing's off. You know, you're just ovulating a little bit differently and like there's ovulation kits and the technology is getting better and all that stuff. But like maybe your body just you're not you're not catching it at the right time because you you do have to time when you take these Mm -hmm. tests and um or you know there's there's just there's small things that modern science can't quite test for yet um i was told that there's the possibility that i just ovulate a little bit later than when my hormones say i do not enough to like make a test pop later but enough to just not be testable um and it's just one of those things where I, you know, there's nothing wrong with my uterus. There's nothing wrong with my ovaries. There's nothing wrong with my husband samples. Um, you know, there's, there's no discernible thing that you can see and fix and move on, which, um, I think it makes undiagnosed infertility. And this is, you know, coming from a very personal place. I think it makes it one of the toughest because, you sure. think, well, then if I can't see anything wrong with me, why can't we just go? Like a lot of women I know have um, like hidden endometriosis mm. and they will get like the laparoscopy before they do like an IVF cycle. And that will be like the thing that fixes them, which, you know, that's a very broad brush statement, right. but um, you know, th- there's, there's something that is, seeable, fixable, and then it's fixed and then they can move on. And with undiagnosed, you know, maybe we never had to do IVF. Maybe we could have gotten pregnant if we just kept trying and trying and trying. But at that point we were, I think a year and a half in and I was in my early thirties and I was like, I don't want to wait anymore, especially cause I know I want a big family. Right. Um, let's, let's move to seeking help. What is IVF? IVF is in vitro fertilization. Um, (laughs) I've had, you know, it is really when they take the egg and the sperm outside of your body, they, it's the original test tube babies. Um, Some people get offended by that. I don't, um, science is the best. So (laughs) why wouldn't I want my little test tube babies? Um, you know, and they, they grow the embryo and then they wait until usually three days or five days and they take the best looking ones and they put them back into you. Um, there's a lot of assisted hormones to help you grow. There's a lot of monitoring. Um, one person, I explained IVF to them and they said, oh, like how we do the cows at the farm. Not the most flattering <laughs> comparison. But, um, yeah, sometimes that is how Never cows at farms are fertilized. <laughs> yeah. I was like, cool. Thank you. <laughs> this is why we have these discussions. <laughs> right. Oh my goodness. Something fascinating that you told me the first time is that there's almost like a rating system for the quality of eggs. Mm-hmm. There is. And, um, I'm probably not the best person to rate them because, um, one of the other side things is I may have kind of had like a borderline um, polycystic ovary system syndrome. And my original doctor never diagnosed me with that and went ahead and did my retrieval. Um, and I had an inc- 
incredibly large amount of eggs retrieved, um, which every time they take an egg out for a retrieval, they are actually poking a needle in there. So you can imagine how great I felt the next day. Um, and they, so I had a ton um, and we were very fortunate that I had 43 eggs, which that is a huge number. I've only heard one person have more than that. Mm -hmm. um, and granted, I'm not asking everyone, but it's a lot. <laughs> Even when their embryologist was calling me, they're like, uh, I, I would tell you like how they're doing, but like, you're going to be fine. You're going to have plenty. And then we had 15 fertilized. Um, we used one for a fresh transfer. Um, 14 made it to freeze, uh, which those are incredibly good numbers. Like you can almost expect like a 50% drop off rate as like the days go on. Mm. Um, and, and it's probably not quite that, but like, that's kind of what I tell like friends that are doing it to expect that most people end up somewhere in like the two to five range. Like that's, that's a crazy, that is like a number where you're like, okay, I'm good. I can move on. Um, and so, and we have four, I mean, essentially 15 and yeah. So I forget where the question is going. I'm a great <laughs> interviewer. <laughs> in the morning. Just talking about the rating um, system with the eggs. I found that. Oh, the rating system. Yes. Yeah. So they, when, when, especially when you only have like a few, they go through them and they pick out like the ones that are most likely to hatch and implant. Mm. Um, and so they rate those. I think it's like, I think four AA is the best. It's something along those lines. And then they drop them down from there. Um, like I said, I never got really far into that because we have so many and so many, and it, it, we're very fortunate. So many are very good. We haven't even had to dip into anything. That's not like the best rated embryo. For somebody with undiagnosed <laughs> infertility, it's almost a little bit ironic that you produce so many good and high quality eggs. Right. Right. And that's, and that's one of those things where you go, could I have gotten pregnant on my own? Maybe, maybe if we kept trying, but who knows? But who knows? Right. Take me back yeah. to that office visit where you received the initial diagnosis of being undiagnosed because the women that I've spoken to, um, kind of went through a plethora of tests for a prolonged period of time with various specialties and providers. And apparently once you are identified as undiagnosed, a lovely stamp goes into your folder and then apparently insurance cuts off. Oh, I, that was not my, my case. Okay. Um, well, and I will say, uh, throughout the course of, you know, I have three IVF babies. Um, I had one miscarriage in the very beginning and, uh, we're working on our fourth right now. Um, and I have had different insurance, I think for almost every single cycle, if this <laughs> one were to, um, go successfully, I will have had at least the same insurance for two of them. Nice. <laughs> um, the first time I was living, when I was first going through all the initial testing and everything, I was living in Massachusetts. Um, so, you know, for those that don't know, there is a, uh, a fertility mandate within the health insurance in Massachusetts. It's, you know, part of the statewide healthcare. Um, and that is, it's really great. Um, if you, 
I happen to have really good insurance on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does make it um, interesting in the fact that, you know, just seeing my, my journey between um, Massachusetts and Pennsylvania, um, I have had um, like my, my care in Pennsylvania feels a little bit more personalized. And I hate to say that because I do believe that there should be like fertility riders and all that stuff. Um, Massachusetts, I just feel may have been overwhelmed in their system. Mm. I, I think really that's kind of one of those, we need more doctors. We need more people specializing in this kind of stuff. Sure. Um, I think that's really where the problem lies and not with the insurance. Um, I do want to make that very yeah. clear. <laughs> uh, but so you know, you kind of go through the standard testing protocols, you know, you do all, uh, I, I bet everyone that comes in, unless they have something specific that they know about, all do the same test at the same time, you know, and go through the same initial mm-hmm. steps, um, to try and figure out what is going on with them. Um, I never got my insurance cut off. They, I, used my initial insurance up through, um, my first fresh transfer. Okay. So they never did cut me off. Um, and then we moved and I had to switch to at the time Obamacare because I was an independent contractor for my next job. Um, and then my last or my third child, we had, um, my husband works for Dell. We, they have really great fertility coverage. Um, shout out, shout out to the big company. And then, and then they switched it to just a different provider this year. So it's still through Dell. They still have really great um, coverage. It just, it's through like a different fertility program. Okay. That's good to hear. Yeah. I would love to do a little bit of a deep dive on those other conversations I had because I wonder if there are maybe clauses or nuances that are prohibiting people to perhaps maybe go through IVF if their insurance doesn't cover it, yeah. right? Like, it doesn't seem that far-fetched considering how complicated insurance is and how, because everything's <laughs> privatized, right? Everyone has their own stipulations around these these claims, so. Yeah, and it's, you know, it, it's crazy to me because, like, there shouldn't be... Like if you're undiagnosed, if you've tried for like my requirement was I had to try to get pregnant naturally for a year before I was allowed to talk to the doctor. Mm-hmm. If you've done that, you know, trial period, you're not getting pregnant. Like it doesn't necessarily mean undiagnosed doesn't necessarily mean like you're, there's nothing wrong. It just means right. they can't diagnose what's wrong. Correct. I feel like that's a very different conversation. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Were there any common misconceptions you had? very early on, or maybe even now? Uh, yeah. Um, it is, it is hard to convince people and not convince people. Cause like I'm doing my own thing and you know, there's not a lot that's going to make me veer off my own path, but, um, you know, some people think, and I don't know how much of this thread you want to pull at on this sweater. But even now with like abortion talk, um, you know, I have, I have conservative parents that I really, I love. 
Um, but there was also a whole education part I had to do about, um, you know, IVF. And I had a lot of, and not necessarily from my mom, like from a lot of people just saying like, oh, well, if you just relax, I bet you'd get pregnant or you mm. could just adopt. Like that's just as, that's just as easy. And, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, it, it actually, for someone like me, it isn't just that easy. Like I have done those things. You don't think over the year and a half that I tried at some point I was relaxed. <laughs> right. Like I'm not that tightly wound. <laughs> um, you know, I, I went on vacations. I was doing a lot of good stuff. Like I, and I had no other kids. I was relaxed. Yeah. Um, you know, and adoption is not an easy hurdle to jump through either. Like there are a lot of heartbreaking stories about, you know, I, and it, you're choosing heart, a hard, heartbreaking road, whatever path you go on. Mm. So it's, it's not as simple as people sometimes like make it out to be. Um, and you know, and going back to the abortion thing, you know, talking about how like abortion, abortion mandates in certain states could now limit, you know, the, the success of IVF or right. prevent, I mean, you know, I have nine embryos left. Like, I, honestly, I don't know what my next step is with them because I'm not going to have, I'm not going to have nine more kids. Hopefully I just have one more. And I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> um, but, um, that is, you know, that I, I don't know. Like if I were to live in a state, I, I mean, I'm in Pennsylvania, so we're always on the border right now. The governor has committed to not, you know, signing any, or, letting abortion <laughs> go the way of, you know, uh, scary IVF consequences, mm -hmm. but you never know. Um, and what do I do with my nine embryos at the end of that? And it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. And then, you know, other misconceptions is, you know, people say, Oh, well, you can have twins. Like they'll put two embryos in you. Um, that's all dictated by, that's all dictated by your insurance. So the typically not always, um, typically the better insurance you have, the less likely they are to let you put multiple embryos in depending on your history. Like I've only had one miscarriage, so I would have to have multiple miscarriages, which that is insane to me that you would let me go through multiple miscarriages before you change your insurance requirements. And they say it's for the health of the mother and the baby, but for someone like me, who's choosing to have a large family and I have to have C-sections every time. You're now telling me that I have to subject myself to four C-sections and four rounds minimum, you know, if that's if everything goes well, right. of hormones, injections, testing. Whereas if I were able to put multiple in, you know, maybe I could do two and two and be done. Um, so it's, it is um, crazy to me that insurance has so much say in what I'm doing. It does. Insurance in the government. <laughs> so much say in what I'm doing. We should put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I bet I, I bet I can find one on Etsy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Was there anything unexpected that's happened throughout this journey? I mean, I'm assuming because the science is not brand new, you know, we still have procedures in place. Like there's an order of operations to do things, but anything just like that completely threw you off the wall. Um, I think, 
Now, not so much. Um, my last cycle was canceled. That threw me for a loop because I've been really fortunate in the fact that like I've done a cycle. It has worked um, with the exception of the first one. And we kind of knew what was going on. Um, and so that, that, and you know, it was for fluid in my uterus. And that is one of those things that like, you can, you can't really control it. Like some people will do like an antihistamine protocol where they'll do like mucinex, but it's and very loosely speaking. So someone could come on here and be like, she's super wrong. But like kind of what I was looking at is it, it's not, there's not enough evidence to say that it's like, yes, you should really do this. It's like, it could work. It could also not. Yeah. It's kind of a crapshoot. Um, and typically the fluid will go away once you start your progesterone. Um, or sometimes it doesn't. And this was a time that it didn't. And I, my cycle was canceled and it was, and the, just the emotional pain you feel from that. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't expect it because, you know, I am, I keep saying it, but I am very fortunate to have three babies that, you know, perfect little test tube babies. <laughs> and, um, I went into this thinking like, okay, we'll do this fourth round. I'll get pregnant on this day. Like, because I do C-sections, I know my due date. Like I know what day I'm going to schedule my C-section. Like it's, um, it's crazy. And this time it was just like, nope, it's not, it's not the plan. And God, it like, it, it took me back to those initial emotional feelings of just worthlessness and helplessness. And do I even keep doing this? And why do I do this? And do, am I ready to do another round? I mean, the Luprom that I go on um, to start my frozen cycles, it suppresses, you know, my whole ovulation. So that way we don't accidentally get like a baby plus another <laughs> one in there. Um, and, and, you know, and it, it makes me feel it's a crappy drug. It makes you feel terrible. Um, I know you spent the weekend um, sick and I spent the weekend with, headaches so bad. I couldn't do anything. Yeah. Um, I just, I laid in bed. I, I look at my Fitbit, it's like six hours of napping each day. And you know, that's not how I want to spend my time. And when you have other little kids, you know, you feel that guilt of like, should I be doing this? Should I be taking time away from them with this, you know, drug that's yeah. <laughs> hurting me, but you know, it's, it, it's hard to, it, it throws you for a loop. Um, in the beginning though, I think everything was kind of a surprise. Like you're, you're just going through it and you're like, I don't know what the next step is. You're just trusting the doctors and hoping that you're on the right path. And I think that is, it, it sometimes it's your only choice, but it's really hard. Um, cause I tell everyone like, make sure you advocate for yourself, mm. make sure you know your numbers. Make sure, um, you know, I have like slight hypothyroidism. Is it a problem? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but like when you're trying to like control all those variables, why aren't we talking about that? Yeah. And it wasn't until I switched doctors that my doctor started talking about that. And it's one of those things like had I known that I need to be advocating for myself more, um, I probably would have like kept 
better records for myself. But I think at the time I was so overwhelmed, it was just better to trust the process and let them do it. But I do tell people now, like, make sure you know your numbers, make sure like, you know, you know, feel free to ask, feel free to look on the internet, like be a little annoying. It's fine. It's better to be annoying and not miss a cycle because yeah. everything is so time sensitive than it, it, than it would be to like miss a cycle because like, Oh yeah, maybe we should have given you some, you know, Synthroid that could have helped. No, that's absolutely right. And it kind of takes me back to the whole, like a chronic UTI period of my life that lasted what, two, two and a half years. And I felt like in the very beginning, and by the way, full disclosure, I did not know what a UTI was when I first got one in college. Okay. Yeah. My mother had never had one. Um, none of my friends yeah. like really ever talked about getting them. Like it was just not a thing. So when I, my first one, I thought I had a full, full blown STD. I was like, yep, this is going to be my life. Like I did it. I <laughs> <laughs> you just accept it. Yeah, You're like, here we are. Like that, that's the pain that I had felt. Um, but with every initial doctor visit, at least I would say in the first six months to a year, I felt like I was learning something new or I was being asked something new. And I didn't like that because these were all suggestions that were preventative. So I was like, well, why didn't I just get all this information the very first or second time? Because to assume that a young adult, even though I was what, 18, 19, 20 years old knows how to take care of themselves because who, who is actually taught about how their vagina functions? Right. I don't know because I've spoken with people with PhDs in biology, right? That were learning about conceiving, getting pregnant, like infections. And so, um, yeah, it makes me sad, but like, I also share very similar sentiments of like going back to that time period too. And I had wished that, you know, somebody kind of would have sat me down at least early on and been like, hey, these are some of the things that cause it. And like you mentioned, I think my first instinct was just to go to the internet. So by year two, I would like... That might be the engineer in us. <laughs> yeah, that might be. By year, by year two, I used to go into the doctor visit. And now most recently with my primary care um, here in the Boston area... I started talking about the vaginal microbiome and how it functions. And <laughs> my doctor looked at me and she was like, what do you do again? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, don't worry, I got this. <laughs> because now I've just done like such a deep dive into the topic. So I can't imagine that, you know, these things necessarily should be let off the hook the older we get right especially mm -hmm. since conceiving is a part of like all women's life at some point whether you decide to or not i think there's right. <laughs> there's things that we need to know about in advance yeah yeah you're i mean you're absolutely right it's just it's and that's why i think i, I really like what you're doing here and that's why like i try and stay very open about IVF because I don't want people to just think like, oh, like, you know, just a bottle of tequila right. and three <laughs> kids later. It's like, no, I worked really hard for these kids. I had to learn a lot about my body. I had to learn a lot about the medical system. I had to ship embryos from Massachusetts to Pennsylvania. Um, you know, there's a lot that I had no idea. And I just had to like buckle down, you know, take my machete out and like, 
down the weeds and hope for the best. You do. You do. And with each conversation I have with, um, on this podcast, it's like your health has to be looked at one, obviously a long-term new habit forming thing because it's not Mm -hmm. going away. But I think that my, my key takeaways from every conversation has been that you do have to take initiative. Unfortunately, it's almost like personal finance. Like nobody teaches it to us, but you have to take responsibility (laughs) for it. Um, so Mm -hmm. in a way, like we hope things would be easier and more streamlined and, you know, hopefully we're, we're doing that here for other people. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, yeah, I hope so. I mean, I know several people that have gone through IVF for whatever reasons now, and we try and keep an open like dialogue and let, you know, let each other know what's going on and what happened. And, um, even, you know, someone very close to me, um, had a miscarriage at 11 and a half weeks. They were pregnant naturally. Um, and they had to like, they've started seeing a reproductive endocrinologist, um, which is the doctor you go to for an IVF or IUI or anything along those lines. And, um, they were like, Oh, your fimbre is shriveled. And I was like, I thought I, I knew all the parts of like, what's a fimbre? And so I like had to Google it and it's the little flowery part that like puts the eggs down there for you. And it was shriveled. So like everything else was in good condition, but that was, it had been blocked by, um, cysts and polyps. No and way. So it didn't receive any blood flow and it, it, it shriveled. And I think it can like, now that they cleared all the blockage, I think it can come back to like, you know, to I thrive, thrive um, like a flower. But yeah, but it's, it's one of those things where like, she now has to move to IVF because it is, you know, maybe the fin break can come back and everything would be fine. Maybe not. But again, time is, time is not always on your side in these situations, especially right. as like, uh, you know, we, we start to try and conceive later and later in life. Um, and the 35 thing is kind of bullshit. Um, I don't know how much swearing you want on here, but <laughs> I feel like bullshit is the appropriate yeah. word for that. Um, but, but, you know, there is still a time element to it. If you could go back in time to change anything, would you? That's a good question. Um, I think I would have, I think I would have probably changed my, my fresh transfer. Um, they had told me to wait because I had, um, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, which is when you have a bunch of eggs and they take a bunch of them out and then you take on, you retain a lot of fluid. And so you get very swollen. Like I actually looked like I was like five months pregnant. Um, and I was, it was not, uh, and they, it, it, it can get dangerous. Like mine was like a Honestly, I probably should have gone to the doctor, but because of the whole insurance thing, I transferred on the last day of my insurance, last day of active insurance. So they really kind of like transferred and then like 
And even the doctor was like, are you sure you want to transfer today? She's like, you're kind of swollen. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's my last day of insurance. Yeah, do it. And I ended up getting pregnant and then I miscarried um, at like, I think it was like week seven and a half, eight, something like that. Um, which, you know, sometimes they can call it a chemical pregnancy, but you know, I, I saw the embryo go in, like, I kind of, I don't like that term. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was, it was, a, it was almost harder to, for me at least to get pregnant and then lose that baby after all that work. Um, you know, if I had been on the same insurance, would I have listened to them and waited and just done a frozen cycle? Um, maybe you don't know because you're, you, you just, I always say like one day in infertility is like a month, uh, <laughs> or one day in real time feels like a month in infertility. Um, just every delay feels like just like a gut punch. Um, so would I have listened? I, maybe, maybe if I had the doctor I do now, because like, I kind of trust him a lot more. That's good. Um, so yeah. <laughs> what would you tell to any new partners or women that are preparing to go on this journey for the very first time? I would say, you know, talk about it, ask questions, um, ask the same question again and again, if you don't understand it until you understand it. Um, don't let people tell you that you should just relax and <laughs> it'll be fine. Or you don't really need IVF. I get very snippy. Um, uh, snippy. I get sassy. Uh, when people say that, they'll be like, Oh, like, you know, have fun trying. And I'm like, I go to a doctor and that usually shuts people up. Um, because I don't want to undermine the importance of what I went through right. to get my children. Um, and not saying any other way is better or whatever. Um, I will say naturally is probably cheaper. Um, but you know, I just, for me, that's part of my story. That's part of my kid's story. I want that to be, um, you know, part of what we talk about. Um, and I, I think, you know, as long as you know, it's going to be hard, um, it, it's emotionally, it's going to kick the crap out mm -hmm. of you. Um, and that sucks, but you know, until, you, until you call it, there's usually still an option. I mean, there, there's obviously exceptions where people won't be able to conceive and that's, that's very heartbreaking for those that want to. Um, but I also think, you know, a lot of people start on the path and they hear like, oh, this wasn't good, or this is a no, or this is, you know, not going to work this way. It is hard as it is to like, not be frustrated or disappointed by that. Just keep in your head that there is still something to overcome that mm. or to move past that, yeah. you know, treatments, surgeries, medication, you know, there's usually something to help you move forward. And if you keep that in your mind, it kind of helps this thing a little, it doesn't take it away because it's still, it still stings. So like I said, even with getting fluid in my uterus, it was, I, I cried, I cried a lot. Um, and it was a bad day and 
and I know that I could just get back on the horse and do another cycle and it might not have the same outcome and it's still stung as hard as, you know, anything yeah. else. That's understandable. Well, Lindsay, very eye-opening conversation. I really appreciated your time here. Um, I think this will bring a lot of value to people, especially those undergoing IVF or perhaps that have never heard of it, didn't even know it was an option. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised because I, I had a very granular, I guess, background knowledge of what this was, but um, definitely talking to you about it and kind of walking through that process, I think might, I don't think it might, I think it, it will help at least bring some so. awareness. <laughs> to the topic. Yeah. I hope so. Any, any closing thoughts? Um, I mean, IVF babies, little science babies are the best. <laughs> I, I mean, if you're going to have, if you're going to be an engineer and have like babies and they're little science babies, I mean, isn't there something cute and poetic about that? I think there is. <laughs> and I will say whenever people compliment me on my kids, you know, say, oh, they're so cute, which, you know, you have to say those <laughs> children. Um, I always say, thank you. The doctor mixed them really well. <laughs> Which is a fun comment to make people. That's amazing. So, that's <laughs> so. If you have a sixth sense of humor, uh, IVF does make for a little bit extra level of joking. I think you just like shifted my whole perspective on wanting IVF <laughs> children. Okay, that's amazing. There you go. <laughs> I, I want to. I want to be able just to say that. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you again so much. We really appreciate your time and being here and. Um, as always, we'll see you guys in the next one. Yeah, thanks for having me.